Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of discussions with entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. Lawyerist supports attorneys building client-centered and future-oriented small law firms through community, content, and coaching, both online and through The Lawyerist Lab. And now, from the team that brought you the Small Firm Roadmap and your podcast hosts. Hi, I'm Stephanie Everett. And I'm Zach Glazer. And this is episode 463 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, Stephanie talks with Dan Martell about buying back your time. Today's podcast is brought to you by Postali, Posh Virtual Receptionists, and LawPay. We wouldn't be able to do our show without their support, so stay tuned because we're going to tell you more about them later on. So Stephanie, we just did LabCon, and in LabCon, we actually gave away a good deal of eBooks for the Small Fern Roadmap. And people that have listened to the show might know, but not everybody knows, you actually did the recording of our audiobook. Yes. <laughs> I know. <laughs> kind of wanted to ask you about that because we listen to ourselves, you and I listen to ourselves talk a lot, and it's scary. Just to be frank, it is it is weird listening to yourself talk, but we we do it a lot. But you had to do it for how many pages worth? How many chapters worth of stuff? I know. It was like over 360 pages of content. Oh, man. And yeah, when the team said, you know, you really need to record it because you're going to understand it. You know, Mm -hmm. the first time we did the book and we had an audio version, we actually hired an actress, a voice actress to record the book. And this time everybody was like, you should do it. And and I laughed because for that reason, I was like, wait. But my voice is terrible. <laughs> like what? And, and, and yes. And then I, as our listeners will appreciate, one of the team members like, but yet everybody listens to you every week on the podcast. Right. That's the thing is we all think our voices are terrible. We're all our own, you know, worst critics, especially, you know, attorneys wanting to be perfect. And, you know, how many times have we messed things up or said the wrong pronunciation. I pronounce people's names incorrectly all the time. Oh my gosh. So we discovered there are words in this universe that I am incapable of saying. Like, (laughs) I wish we could have recorded while we were writing it because I would have rewritten sections of the book to let me avoid saying certain words. Like, and the editor would listen and would send it back and say, try it this way. (laughs) (laughs) And I just... I'm like, I don't know how to say this word. This is really embarrassing. So also funny enough, we wrote the word poop in the book. Okay. The sentence like was- Like you do. Yeah. Because every professional book has the word poop in it. Uh-huh. And I could not keep but laughing and chuckling every time. I was like, <laughs> I'm trying to say the word poop professionally on this book. And I would crack myself up. And then I would laugh at myself, laughing at myself. Like I mm-hmm. was like the cycle- and so I did say to the editor, I was like, do you ever do like a blooper reel or something? Cause listening Ooh. like, and he was like, no one's ever asked me that, but I feel like there were so many times where it was so comical. If you had heard me get frustrated, have to restart the sentence, like a lot, like a lot, a lot. So it was, I got through Absolutely. It. Yeah. Yeah, you did. And it sounds great, but more importantly, it's, an expression that's out there in the ether, out there in the universe. And yeah, it, I, it's available. If you like to listen to audiobooks, I would love for you to listen to it. And I'll just share like, not to get too cheesy, but the very end, as I'm reading the conclusion, I tear up. 
So not only do I crack myself up, I like <laughs> just running the gamut. Yes, <laughs> there's a lot of emotions poured into this thing because it is. It's a part of us. It's our story. Mm-hmm. And there was something really, what's the right word? I'm grateful for the experience. And I'm always so, so appreciative when people come up to me or have a conversation with me and tell me that a piece of it touched them. Something mm-hmm. resonated with them. That story you told mattered. I saw myself in that story. And so thank you for that. And I just feel so grateful for having that chance to connect with people in this way. Yeah. And for my team pushing me to record it. So I did. Oh, absolutely. Well, there's some things that you have to do yourself. And there's some things that you don't have to do yourself, which is what you and Dan Martell are talking about in the following episode. Great segue. So let's check that conversation out. Hi, I'm Dan Martell, CEO of SaaS Academy, serial entrepreneur and author of Wall Street Journal bestselling book, Buy Back Your Time. Dan, I have been looking forward to this conversation because this is a place where a lot of people get stuck. And I know we're going to talk about a lot today, but maybe to kick us off, why do we need to think about it in terms of buying back our time? Yeah, I mean, it's an awesome question. And I really appreciate it. You know, back when I was starting as an entrepreneur, literally entrepreneurship saved my life. There's a whole backstory, but I ended up getting in a lot of trouble as a teenager, ended up in, in jail twice by the time I was 17. And luckily for me, there was this, this guard, Brian, that you know, spoke belief about my potential into me at a moment in my life where I had zero self-worth. Eventually, I got released to a rehab center where I did 11 months of therapy and um, learned how to write computer code, which is a crazy story in itself at the end of that program. And that my life changed and I just became an entrepreneur. I think I was always entrepreneurial, even prior, just unfortunately, nothing legal or productive. <laughs> right. uh, my dad always joked. My dad used to say, he's like, if you could just find something you're passionate about that isn't illegal, I think you'd do okay with your life. Turned out he's pretty right. You know, since then I've built a bunch of software companies that I've exited. I became a multimillionaire at 27. Today, I coach some of the coolest software CEOs and, and non-software CEOs as, uh, you know, in my private practice. And what happened for me is as I was building companies, I kept growing and failing. Like at 17, I started a company called Maritime Vacation. That one burnt to the ground by the time I was 19. Learned a lot of good lessons, did another company right after two and a half years of, of essentially trying and failing and trying and failing. You know, John Maxwell's got this great book, says sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. So I just got a lot of shots on goal, learning how not to shoot on goal. And, uh, what happened was when I was 23, almost 24, out of desperation, I just finished reading the book, The E-Myth, The Entrepreneurial mm-hmm. Myth by Michael Gerber and decided I'm going to hire a business coach. And prior to that, I never had a coach. I never had anybody, honestly, didn't even have a mentor. I just kept trying and trying. And I wasn't even reading business books prior to that, which is kind of silly. And Bob, it was his name. He was a certified E-Myth coach. Bob literally taught me how to build a business. I was, I was a hard worker. I was willing to show up, do the work, whatever he told me. He, he always joked that I had the fastest knowing doing gap. Like as soon as he told me something, I didn't even want to talk anymore. I was like ready to just, okay, can we finish the call? I'm going to go do that thing. And within the first year, we built almost a million dollar company. And over the next four years, built a very, one of the fastest growing companies in Canada. And unfortunately, I was so fearful, Stephanie, of like taking my foot off the gas. 
I just didn't know what part of the thing I was doing, which was like actually move the needle versus everything else was just noise. And I was so scared that if I took my foot off the gas, I'd lose my edge and I'd be back right where I you know, ended up with my previous two companies. And unfortunately, I ended up getting in a relationship uh, with another woman and we got engaged and, you know, everything was pointing to, you know, white picket fences and children, all that fun stuff. And, you know, one Sunday afternoon, I come home and I, I find my fiance in tears in the kitchen in a house we had just moved into about seven weeks before the wedding. And she takes the ring off and she just says, I can't do this anymore. And she leaves me. And that like just reset my whole identity of who I was what I was doing it for. You know, I used to make up this excuse that I'm doing it for mm. our future. Why don't you understand, et cetera. So I went from that and honestly, almost resolving that maybe I just got to be okay with someday. Like there was two options. Either I'm going to be the quintessential rich uncle, never in a relationship, no kids, or I got to really work on myself to figure out how can I show up in a way that, you know, like, cause I was crazy driven, but I was just, I allowed myself almost, I, I was like, I swapped my addictions. I went from abusing substances to, you know, getting addicted to the pace of the business, the pace of the work. And, and I would use it as excuses for just stupid. I mean, I went to my best friend's birthday party and I'm in his living room with my laptop, you know, closing deals, sending contracts, reviewing resumes. And in my head, I'm thinking I'm the best friend in the world. Like I'm here and I'm so busy. And he's thinking to himself, like, Dan is silly. What is he doing? So I went from that to learning a completely different way. After I kind of got through that, that trauma, honestly, I, I worked with a therapist and worked through a lot of beliefs and, you know, just habits that I had that just were not productive that I thought, you know, really was my edge. And, and my success was in spite of all that stuff. Like, and that's what I've learned since then. And I moved to San Francisco, kind of the heart of Silicon Valley as a, a software entrepreneur. And that's where I learned a different way to build and scale companies. And the whole concept of the buyback principle started to materialize. This is almost, you know, 13 years ago. And the idea is, is simple is we don't hire people to grow our businesses. We hire people to buy back our time because if we do the second, we get the first, but if we do the first, we don't always get the second. And I'm on a mission, Stephanie, to help entrepreneurs build companies. They grow, don't grow to hate. Yes. So I think that's actually the number one risk to a business owner is that they get to a place where they grow their business, they're successful, but what they're experiencing, they hate and they decide to either shut it down, sell it or sabotage their own success. And that's why I wrote the book. Your story hits in a lot of places. And it reminds me, I mean, I was just telling my daughter who's 12 the other day, I was like, I'm not always the smartest person in the room, but I always think I'm the hardest worker. Like I've got this work ethic, like nobody's business. And I was trying to inspire her, but it's reminding me that, that that's what we do sometimes. We think I just got to work hard and I just keep at this and I'll work so hard at this business. I'm going to create this successful thing. And I think when I read the book, it just reminded me, I mean, it's so silly to say, but like your hard work isn't always paying off the way you think. If you could switch your brain and realize where you really should spend your time and your effort the impact is so much more, but it's hard for us hard workers to allow ourselves to think that way. And the reason why is because it's, it's a known thing, right? When I wake up and I jump into my inbox first thing in the morning, and I'm not recommending this, I'm just saying when I used to do that, 
I felt the dopamine hit. Like emails are there. I respond to the emails. I'm doing business. Like I'm an entrepreneur. The business is happening and this is my job. But the truth was, you know, as you mentioned, like there's a difference between being productive and just being busy. And when I step back from what is the true purpose of a business, this is really going to mess with people listening to this. But I'll, I'll be honest with you. Like I had to really ask myself, like, when we're creating these companies, what is the North Star? You know, I'm a software guy, so I'm always like measuring things. What's the metric? And I realized that it's your personal net worth increased, right? Your PNW, which a lot of people never measure. And I would just, if anybody's listening, they're an entrepreneur, go download a PNW template. Most of us had to fill them out to get loans from the banks or whatever it is. And use that as your North Star, right? Because if you realize that what's valuable to like, what's the purpose of a business is to increase our PNW, then it means that what's valuable is increasing the equity or the value of our shares in our companies, which when you start and you're small is worth zero to anybody else because it's not something people would buy. So it's like as fast as we can get our businesses to a place where it would be attractive to a buyer, that's when we start unlocking the true efficiency of like waking up and doing work, it should all be in the service of increasing the equity value in the business, not profit and cash flow. Even those things are super important and you obviously can't, you know, pay for groceries with, with equity or, you know, IOUs, you need cash. But if you actually thought about the core principle of like getting up and working, it's not responding to emails or delivering value to a customer, although those are important. It's creating a machine that generates an outcome in a predictable nature that somebody else would find valuable. And if we look at our PNW, our personal net worth, and on there's our business, we have a primary asset called our company. And right now it's not worth anything, it's zero, but we could get it to a couple hundred grand, we can get it to a million, we can get it to three million, we can get it to five million. That's where the, the game that we think we're playing, you can get clear. Cause it's like, if somebody asked me to go play cricket and they didn't tell me the rules of the game, I'm pretty sure I would suck at cricket, right? Stephanie, like, imagine somebody said, hey, let's go play this game called soccer. We're not going to tell you how it works. Here's a ball, go crazy. You're like, well, what team am I on? What's the point? I'm, I'm assuming, should I kick the ball that way in the net? And I feel like sometimes people are playing the game of business, but they're never taught what the rules are, or what the purpose is. And I've just defaulted to that. Everything I do in my life is designed to increase the equity in every company that I'm involved in, my primary company or other investments I make. So then when I look at my calendar and I look at my time, sure, we want to buy back our time, but then we should fill it with things that are going to improve our skills to be able to add value to these assets, to the company that makes the company more valuable. Does, does that make sense? It does. But I think some of our listeners who are mostly attorneys are going to say, but I'm an attorney, right? I started this business yep. To practice law, for some people, they started it as a job. Like if we're being honest, they just thought, I don't like my boss or I want to be my own boss. I'm going to go practice law on my own. And I don't think all of our law firms actually kind of start with that idea of I'm building this thing. It has value. They should know by now they've been listening to the podcast enough to know that you are building a business. It does have value. We've had tons of episodes about that and you can sell your business and how to value your business, but it's still a part of our brain that we have to unlock for some people. Yeah. See, I mean, I, and I love that question and that, and that reframe. This is why I'm so excited about sharing this message because I think 
most of us had this entrepreneurial seizure, as Michael Gerber talks about in the book, The E-Myth, where we wake up, we're a technician, we're a plumber, we're an electrician, we're a lawyer, and we go, I think there's a better way to do this. I hate my boss. I just want to go off on my own. I want to be accountable to myself and my destiny and my future. And we all, we all start these companies as a technician of a doer, not realizing that the skill of an entrepreneur whether we call ourselves that or not. And trust me, my first few companies, I never used the word CEO or entrepreneur. I was the director of e-business. I don't know why, just identity-wise, I just felt it was kind of an inflated title I didn't earn yet. But at some point, we need to understand what is the game we're playing, which is to build the business, to be the CEO, to actually act like an entrepreneur. And that's what the entrepreneur means, to create enterprise. And the way we do that is looking at our time completely different. I, I actually had uh, one of my lawyers back in the day. He was like our first, call it like a family practice, mm -hmm. right? Those quintessential small town lawyers did everything, you know, legal, estate planning, wills, real estate, all that stuff. I remember like I was working with him on my first apartment I ever bought when I was 21 and we just kind of kept working together. So incorporated these companies and kept chatting with them and set up my trust and my holding companies. But I got so like the business started to grow, the contracts need to be reviewed that he couldn't respond at the speed the business needed. And I begged him to raise his prices, right? And this is a couple of years into my, my final successful company sphere. And you know, he goes, I can't do that. I'll, I'll lose all my customers. And I said, well, I hear what you're saying, but my gut tells me you won't lose them all. You'll probably lose the ones that aren't willing to pay you what you're worth. And if you don't, you're going to lose me. And I'm probably 40% of your business right now. And he literally could not get his mind wrapped around this concept. So much fear, so much anxiety that we ended up going with a national firm. In hindsight, it was actually the right move because we had way outpaced his, even his skill level. Like it was actually a little immature for me to be working with a lawyer that hadn't had the experience of kind of the stuff we were doing. But to me, that's why I've always had a real affinity with the small business owner, the guy that's starting off with a couple employees that has an aspiration to, you know, do well for themselves, provide for their family. But it usually comes on the other side of them realizing the game I'm playing practicing law is actually not the game to build my practice. It's part of it for sure. But if I keep playing that game, then it's going to cause a lot of pain in my life because doing both at the same time, that's where it really gets tough. And understanding how to build the repeatable systems and the processes, the SOPs and hire properly and, and be a leader to your other lawyers. I mean, that's, that's what a good partner does. They recruit talent, they support the talent, they coach the talent, they help them you know, build their book of business. And as you know, that's what creates a, a successful law practice that could be attractive to a buyer at some point. Yeah, for sure. Let's take a quick break. Hear from our sponsors. When we come back, I want to dig into some of the specifics. The Lawyer's Podcast is brought to you by Posh Virtual Receptionists. As an attorney, do you ever wish you could be in two places at once? You could take a call while you're in court, capture a lead during a meeting, or schedule an appointment with a client while you're elbow deep in an important case? Well, that's where Posh comes in. Posh is a team of professional, U.S.-based, live virtual receptionists who are available 24-7, 365. They answer and transfer your calls so you never miss an opportunity. With Posh handling your calls, you can devote more time to billable hours and building your law firm. And the convenient Posh app puts you in total control of when your receptionist steps in. 
So if you can't answer, Posh can. And if you've got it, Posh is always just a tap away. With Posh, you can save as much as 40% off your current service provider's rates. Even better, Posh is extending a special offer to Lawyerist listeners. Visit posh.com forward slash Lawyerist to learn more and start your free trial of Posh Live Virtual Receptionist Services. That's posh.com forward slash Lawyerist. And by LawPay. Don't be the last to discover why the legal industry is raving about LawPay Pro. Say goodbye to manually recording your working hours and chasing down late payments. Accurately track time, reclaim billable hours, and get paid faster with all the billing and invoicing features you need in one easy-to-use tool. Plus, plans start as low as $19 per month per user. Visit www.lawpay.com slash lawyerist to learn more. And by Post Holly. At Lawyerist, we know marketing is an essential piece of a firm's growth strategy. While marketing may be on your radar, the branding process is often glossed over. Our partners at Postali can develop your law firm brand. Postali is a full-service marketing agency working with attorneys nationwide. Their team will guide you through an exercise and then deliver a blueprint that powers your firm's internal operations, visual identity, and marketing efforts. Branding is more than just a logo and color palette. Taking the time to define your target audience, vision, and core values will ensure that you have a well-aligned internal team ready to help you set and achieve your growth goals. Visit postdolly.com slash branding to get started. All right, I'm back with Dan, and we're talking about this concept of buying your time back, and you've set it up so nicely for us, but there's still some people, and in the book, you do a great job, by the way. This is a fantastic book. Everybody should read it, because what I love is you just spoon feed us. Here's the task you get off your plate first, like stop doing these things And guess what, guys? No surprise. It starts with your inbox and your calendar. And I know so many people are like, but I couldn't possibly get rid of those. Like, I have to manage my inbox. I have this fight. It truly is a fight. I have fights like this with lawyers a lot that we coach and work with because they think I have to do this. I have to be the one. There's sensitive things. There's all the things. So I just want them to hear it from somebody else's mouth, not mine. Yeah. No, I, I, I love to share the strategy. I mean, at the end of the day, I sat down because I would get asked by thousands of entrepreneurs every year, right? My wife's an entrepreneur, my brothers, my best friends, my community that I, that I live in, they'd all see me live this very different life, right? Where I get incredible productivity out of my day. But at the same time, like I was wake surfing, I wake surf every morning for about two hours, right? I hike with other entrepreneurs. I'm always there with my kids mountain biking. Like, they see this, but they don't understand how can you run two eight-figure companies as the CEO and still seem like you're on vacation every day. And the reason why I wrote this book is to help people understand the path, right? Just like you said, Stephanie, every chapter was deliberately sequenced in order to slowly work through some of the limiting beliefs or a lot of the limiting beliefs around other people can't do it as good as me, or I can't afford to hire talent right now? Or what if somebody makes a mistake and I lose my most important contract? Or how you're asking me to have somebody else sell for me? Like, how could they do that? Why would somebody want to buy my services, but talk to somebody else? Like, that's just such a foreign concept for a lot of entrepreneurs. So I built this framework called the replacement ladder. And the replacement ladder is essentially five hires. And my argument is every entrepreneur, even if you're starting with yourself today, you are five hires away from building a company you don't grow to hate, from 
growing your revenue and increasing your free time, which sounds like this internet marketing pipe dream. Like I get how, how silly it sounds, but the math works out. And the way it works is level one, we have to hire an executive assistant, okay? An EA, somebody to take care of all the administrative nature of our work. But the two key outcomes, and there's a way to do it that makes it work, and there's a way to do it that just falls on its face. The two key outcomes is your inbox, all emails, like every first pass of any message sent to you needs to be processed by somebody else. Because I believe that your inbox is nothing more than a public to-do list of strangers on your time off the internet. I mean, think about that. If I had an office on Main Street USA, would I allow a stranger to just walk off the street, come in and start selling me their unsolicited services? Or would I have somebody like a secretary sitting outside at the desk and stopping the person saying, hey, excuse me, what do you need Dan for? Well, I want to talk to him about my new whatever electrical thingamajig. And they're like, well, let me write it down and we'll get back to you if there's an interest. But yet today with technology, there's ways to use it where it enhances our lives and other ways where it absolutely distracts us. So the inbox is key. Having somebody else filter all emails coming to you. And I, and in chapter six in my book, I literally break down the email structure, the folder structure, the agenda to have with your assistant. And then the other part is the calendar. Like I don't manage my calendar. My executive assistant, she's the CEO of my inbox and my calendar. And to the degree that we have these like kind of core principles, she is able to design my week, my days, so that they are just, when I'm working, I'm absolutely working, doing nothing else. And when I'm not, I'm not. And take care of all the routing behind the scenes, right? While I'm on this podcast, maybe my next meeting got canceled. And there's now an open 60 minutes. Well, I don't want an open 60 minutes. I want to pull forward work that could have been done tomorrow or the next week, pull it forward to today to free up my calendar, to make it more efficient. And that's, that is such a beautiful way to live your life because I really believe we should be doing things that light us up, that make us the most money. And anything that doesn't do that, anytime you work on that stuff, you're literally swimming upstream. You're working against yourself. So that's the most critical part of level one of the replacement ladder. Level two is the delivery side. And you know what I love about lawyers is, you know, paralegal is part of the business model. It's not something that's foreign. It's built into, you know, every lawyer typically hires somebody to help them do first drafts of contracts and all that stuff. And the lawyer does all the account management. So the delivery side is level two, right? And the key there is like onboarding new customers, following up with customers, you know, supporting the customers. Those are the key outcomes. Level three is marketing, right? As a lawyer, like how do we get new business? What is our process, our, our system that we've documented to get more business? And that could be word of mouth. Well, how does word of mouth work? Well, ask for referrals. Well, when should you ask for a referral? Probably after you work with a new customer and get them you know, a successful completion of a project that they're happy with, then you could say, hey, instead of spending all my time marketing, I'd love you know, one or two other business owners just like you that you trust that you think I could serve. If you don't mind making an introduction, I'd love to get to know them and see if there's an opportunity. That's a system. Who owns a system? Your assistant, whoever. But we have to document that. That's the marketing side. That's level three. Level four is sales, right? Which is a crazy one for lawyers, I know. You know, and I have an, uh, an accountant friend, Greg. He wrote an incredible book called Simple Numbers. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, they're an accounting firm, right? No different than a law firm. And any new opportunities that come into him, through his speaking, through his webinars, whatever, he routes them to his sales guy, Mike. And I've sent so many people to Greg that 
you know, I always say, I'll introduce you to Greg, but I know he's going to loop in Mike. And now I just send people to Mike because he's the person that has first contact with all the customers. He talks about expectations, what they do, what they don't do, how they do it, what makes them unique, then gets them as a customer. And then that way, Greg is freed up to go do the really high-end accounting stuff that his team needs him for and or be out there speaking and running webinars with partners and generating demands, writing books. That's level four. And then level five is leadership, right? When you get to that level, when do we hire people that have professional management in any one of those other core areas of the business to start buying back the HR type stuff to help us with our teams to really, to me, I look at my calendar and I go, what am I spending my time with? What are the things I don't enjoy doing that I could pay people, you know, the least expensive stuff to hire out of my calendar. And today, like not to brag, but I hire CEOs run companies. So, you know, there's always another level for every entrepreneur, but it always starts with our calendar. And I think if you follow those five levels from admin to delivery, to marketing, to sales, to leadership, that every entrepreneur is about five hires away from living a completely different work life to building a business that actually could be bought by somebody because it has a predictability to the business that grows and onboards customers and delivers the value and is well run. Yeah. It sounds so simple and it is. It's simple, not easy. It, yeah, <laughs> it is. But what do you see as the biggest mindset blocker that gets in people's ways from just kind of getting started on this? You know, it's, it's everything, Stephanie. And, you know, I should probably do a video of like the 200 beliefs that stop entrepreneurs from growing because I've heard them all. But I mean, it's, it's fascinating to me because it's the, nobody can do it as good as me, which I agree. You have perfect context, perfect information. An expectation that somebody else could do it as good as me would just be silly. And I think it's actually what stops a lot of entrepreneurs that they have that level of expectation. My rule is 80% done by somebody else is 100% freaking awesome. Yeah. Right. So the other thing, I remember one time I was working with a female entrepreneur and she had an incredible business. They were over 10 million a year and she had built her team out and she was really good at delegating and outsourcing. And we were talking about bringing some of those best practices, which is the last chapter of my book, The Buyback Lifestyle, into her home. And she eventually got on board, hired a house manager and started buying back her time at home. So she had more time to spend with her kids, to go to the gym, to go on date night, all that stuff. And yet there was this one part of the task that she couldn't let go of, which was paying her own bills, which is fascinating because she had a whole accounts payable department in her business. But... When it came to her personal affairs, she couldn't give it to the house manager, right? And I remember we dug in on that. And the belief that she had was, well, if my kid's private school doesn't get paid, then they're going to think I'm a bad mom. Hmm. Or if the cleaning lady doesn't get paid, she's going to look at me as somebody that doesn't know how to manage her own home. And that fear was scarier than a vendor or a partner or an employee not getting paid, right? Because she could always say, well, that's the business. It's not me, but in their home. So it's fascinating how at every level, there's always new devils, right? And I always help my clients work through those. As you grow, it doesn't matter what level you are in your business, new levels, new devils. And you have to self-reflect and ask yourself, why couldn't I have a partner that works with me? Well, I don't trust them. They're going to mess me over or they're going to take advantage of me. Okay, perfect. Let's work through that. Why? Where have you seen that to be true? And if you had to put some principles or rules or strategies in place to help counteract that, what would those be? Well, I'd want this, this, and this. Perfect. So we already know the antidote to your fears. So then why aren't we moving forward? 
And as long as we agree that you're going to do one, two, three, and four, that you'll be able to like, that's the thing, even with the inbox, right? Stephanie, like a lot of people go, I could never have somebody else look at my emails. I've got friends sending me stuff. I've got family members. I've got my wife or my husband. And I go, here's the deal. Everybody should know that you have somebody manage your inbox, right? Just like if I had an office, I would say, hey, there's somebody else that's going to answer the door when you come to my office. Like, don't run in half naked screaming like the person that answers the door is going to see you. So when I hire an executive assistant, I always sit them down. They sign an agreement, right? The lawyers will appreciate this. And it's essentially a non-disclosure, non, there's all these rules, right? The information that you get exposed to, it's binded by blah, blah, blah. Because I do a lot of investment deals, a lot of stuff with public companies. Like there's some serious information that if, if that person misshared with the right, wrong person could get me in a lot of trouble. But we have the agreement in place. They know that there's a strict like non-disclosure, do not share unless somebody asks and you get approval for certain types of information. And then as emails come through, we just work through together the appropriate response and the appropriate kind of you know candor to use and what messages should just skip her inbox or skip the main inbox and then just come to me directly, right? But for the most part, I think we stopped on all that because look, even if my wife messages me, sends me an email saying like, are you in town next Thursday? She can wait for me to get to that email, which might be three or four days, or my assistant can go, no, unfortunately, Dan's traveling and just sign off as Anne. Now we've gotten even smarter. Now my assistant has a meeting with my wife every week. Like today actually is their meeting day. And they sit down and they go through and they coordinate the calendars because she's a busy entrepreneur as well. We're going to get to a point, which is pretty cool, Stephanie, where the assistants work together yeah. and kind of tell us what's going on, which will be a magical, magical day as a systems nerd. But I think that there's, th here's my, my philosophy or my, my kind of perspective on this is I'm not the first entrepreneur ever to have to do this. Somebody else has figured out how to do it. If that's true, then my job is to go find the people that have done it or the content that's produced around teaching people how to do it, and then just go model them, modify, like go do exactly what they say. If people are wondering how to do it, I wrote a whole book on it. Chapter six, seven, and eight will teach you the whole process. Go try it out. It's like I had one client where they didn't want to get a cleaning person in their house because they felt awkward about having a stranger in their home, which I get. So I just said, hey, just try for a month, $500 budget, you know, get some cleaning done, get some meal prep done, try it out, 30 days, have the stranger. Turns out it was one of the best months they ever had. Mom was out playing with the kids every day after work. Dad was going to the gym again with his buddies and everybody felt de-stressed. Best $500 investment they ever made in their family by allowing themselves to at least try the strategy to free up their time. Love, love, love that. So we need to wrap up. I could sit here and talk to you all day. But one of the values here on our team is to stay curious. We're always learning. We're always learning personally and professionally. So I would love just to find out what are you learning right now? Yeah. So what's fun for me is probably two years ago, I started rereading the greats to write my book, Buy Back Your Time. So I went back, you know, How to Win Friends, Dale Carnegie, Good to Great, Think and Grow Rich, and just like, you know, Psychology of Success, just like pretty much books that were written prior to like 1950. And over the last two years, I've just kept that trend, right? So a lot of those success books back in the day, there's not a lot, a lot of management stuff, but there's a lot of mindset stuff, a lot of beliefs, energy. For a lot of people that read my book and they see 
the strategy and the systems and the tactics, which that's kind of where I came from as a software developer. What you may not pick up on is the fact that I'm incredibly spiritual. I definitely believe in universal knowledge and energy and God and, and celebrate whatever God the other people want to celebrate. It's not any denomination. So I just read a lot of books on that. You know, Wallace Waddles is one that comes up, you know, even some, some uh, Bob Proctor, right? Cause Bob is really good at, you know, synthesizing older books into new language. Cause some of those older books are actually, they were probably written great at the time, but I can't get into them. I mean, just the flow of the sentence structures are so either verbose or big words. And I'm all about answering this one question. And I think if you'd like, we can leave on this because I think it'll really support people. But before I, I answer that, let me just share this because I know a lot of people probably are thinking about the executive assistant or really delegating the inbox and stuff. I want to give your audience something special. So if anybody wants my internal Google doc of like my systems and processes I use every day with and my executive assistant, if you find me on Instagram, just follow me. That's kind of the, the fair trade. Follow me on Instagram and then just shoot me a private message and just say EA, executive assistant. And I'll send you the Google Doc, direct link. It's sanitized. I took out all the personal information. But I'd love to give that to your audience that are listening. So just find me on Instagram, Dan Martell, 2 the Martell. But here's what I believe. I believe every human is here to do two things. One, become the best version of themselves. Become their greatest self. Become what I call the 10.0 version of themselves. And that is, if you think of all the best moments, you know, in the past 10 years where you showed up powerfully and confident and joyful and funny and, and whatever it is, these best moments, if you compress them all into one day, that person is the 10.0 version of yourself. Strive to become that. And every day we wake up, I mean, another way to say it is become the person you needed most in your darkest times, Right. And as you are on path of doing that, then share that process with others. Share your success principles with others. It could be your kids. It could be your family, your immediate family. It could be your, your team members at work. It could be your friend group. It could be your community. And if you want to be so bold, Stephanie, I think you'll appreciate this, maybe with the world, right? Because in today's world with social media, we all have a voice. And I just think that at the end of the day, Business for me has always been the ultimate personal development program. It was this cool way of me getting better and in doing so, having an uncapped compensation plan. Kind of awesome. So every day I wake up to try to be the 10.0 version of myself, and that'll probably never, never be a place I end up, just a desire and a direction. And then to the degree that I have the time on my calendar and I try to do as much as I can, I share that process. I share that person. I share those success principles with anybody that wants to follow along. And I just think that's a cool place to live from. And the business is a vehicle to enable that. Awesome. Beautiful. Thank you so much for being with me today. This has been amazing. Absolutely. My pleasure. The Lawyerist Podcast is edited by Brittany Felix. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discuss here into your practice? Wondering what to do next? Here are your first two steps. First, if you haven't read the Small Firm Roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free at lawyerist.com forward slash book. Looking for help beyond the book? Let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to lawyerist.com forward slash community forward slash lab to schedule a 10 minute call with our team to learn more. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. 
Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you. 